and welcome to the Company Watch on the Spot podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick. Morning, we, Joe. We are recording today's episode in the morning of Monday, the 20th of June. And I think, as we promised last time, today's episode will be looking at the um, Monetary Policy Committee at the Bank of England, the, the, the notes, the decision that came out um, last week. I think the meeting was on the Wednesday and we got all the, the docs on the Thursday, the 16th of June. So the, the headline I'm sure most people know is that um, interest rates have increased by 0.25% to 1.25%. Um, but again, it was a split decision with, and Nick, you were, you very interestedly pointed out the, the, the nature of the, the, the 6-3 split. So we had three members who wanted to raise interest rates by half a percent, um, and but six didn't. Now, <laughs> who were those three, Nick? And who were the very, six? How, very interesting that the six were the internal members, Bank of England members of the MPC, and that uh, the three were the three independent members of the committee. And it's led to a flurry of social media comment about this being the perfect illustration of groupthink. And that's been that has been a worry that's been bothering um, commentators for a while. That there's a sort of this is I, th- I think I think you could sum it up nicely by saying that the bank appears to be missing Andy Haldane. Yeah. Now and Andy Haldane, we you know we we were never necessarily his biggest fans, but on these points, he you know the coiled spring. I don't think ever quite materialised, but the yeah. on on these points, I think he was he was right, and he was an he was an independent voice from within, wasn't he? He was a kind of yes, maverick. Um, a maverick figure, and it's really not great reading, is it? I mean, the the <clears throat> well, as I as I said to you, um, by the end of um, uh, reading the MPC minutes um, and the overall summary, um, I was close to being exasperated <clears throat> about the whole thing because it is it continues to be permeated with a sort of low-level complacency that I pointed out to you um, and and to any of our listeners who are inclined to go and read this thing in detail. But the thing that got got, um, my goat the most was paragraph 16 and 17 about, this is sort of mood music from the bank about confidence issues. And, um, you know, what you find when you when you stand back from what they're saying, is a slight sense and a worrying sense of, well, yeah, we, are, we, we accept that neither consumer nor business confidence is going in the right direction, but hey, it could be so much worse. And the answer is, yes, it could be so much worse, but it ain't good. And, mm. um, you know, and, and they go on to say, well, you know, you know, growth growth would be so much better without the supply chain disruption. Well, that isn't finishing any time mm. soon. You know, particularly that that's coming out of China. Absolutely, and they're continuing the lockdown. You know, I think a lockdowns. few weeks ago we thought that the maybe it was the situation is improving in China, mm. but actually we're still back into to various lockdowns. And 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 I think you know we can talk about the, <clears throat> the detail. They they now think GDP will fall by 03 percent in. Uh, the current quarter, Q2, 22, um, only five weeks previously, they thought it would go up by 0.1%. Um, they're very exercised by the tight labour market, which, as we know, has, has been their obsession, abiding mm. obsession right through this whole thing. 
lots of talk. And, and again, they're blaming a lot of the domestic inflation elements. You know, they say, you know, they admit that not all the inflation drivers are um, the global ones that the bank can do very little about, you know, the global energy prices, global commodity prices. But, um, you know, they they are effectively saying this is all the fault of a tight labour market. And then a shift in the blame game, we've got and business pricing strategies, you know, as if it, as if somehow not only is it is it wrong for people who can't put food on their table to ask for more more higher wages, it's somehow wrong that businesses that are seeing their profit margins being destroyed um, can't put their prices up because it leads to inflation. Well, they should have thought about that yeah. nine months ago. Absolutely, absolutely. Sorry, Nick, carry on, Nick. Well, I was going to say there are some fabulous charts out there which plot the um, uh, the way that the, the bank's predictions on inflation have lagged behind the curve. Yeah. On the- yeah, and they're quite they're quite um stark, aren't they? Those I think we we might be able to share um share one or two, two of those, but they are um and and I think that the 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 worrying thing is that it's you know, you could you could argue, well, okay, maybe a year ago or maybe even nine months ago, that could be forgiven because things have changed quite a lot, especially with the, with the war in Ukraine. But you know, even in the last couple of um, meetings, the the prediction and where we are are really, really quite significantly um, significantly off. The, the point I was just going to make, actually, think about um, businesses putting up prices. One of the in in that paragraph seventeen you mentioned, you know, also talking about. Um, businesses using alternative inputs and holding more stock well neither of those things are cost free are they you know no. you want to go and source different um different supply supply routes and you know holding stock you know we, we all know that, that that that's not necessarily a, a good thing for, for businesses to be um to, to have lots of their their capital tied up in stock yes and there's also you um something i picked up from social media and you found in the report itself i think it's para 22 you know, where it's very interesting. There's a remarkable statistic in this report, but what's even more shocking about this statistic is the fact that there is no, there is no explanation attached to it. Which again, this is the old problem of, of Brexit being the word that dare not speak its um, its name. Um, core goods price inflation rose to eight percent in the UK in April. In the euro area, it was 3.8%. And in the US, it was 6.4%. And and as this tweet I picked up said, what on earth could have happened to the UK to drive inflation to such uniquely ruinous levels? Question mark (laughs) on this. So, um, yeah, it's it's all quite interesting. um, There's a wonderful article. uh, I mean, he's a former MPC member and a long-term critic of the of the Bank of England, particularly over the last 12 months, Roger Bootle um, from Capital Economics, writes in today's Telegraph. And the, the headline-grabbing comment in this article is, and I quote, assessing the economy is like shooting at a constantly moving target and the bank keeps missing. But what is more interesting, I mean, that's a real, real bitchy comment and, and, you know, sort of, sort of, you know, a bitter economist is a, is, is sometimes quite an amusing economist. But um, what he goes on to say in the article, which is, I think, worth um, thinking seriously about is the importance 
of what the bank is doing now and what it does over the next six months is for sure there are many things going on which mean that it is not in control of inflation. And you can throw all the interest rate hikes you like at it and you're sort of faffing around the edges a wee bit. Mm. What really matters, says Mr. Bootle, is what happens after the peak. When some of those global factors begin to ebb away as goodness knows we hope they do. Um, and, And he goes on to say, you know, how fast inflation falls back will be influenced by domestic economic factors as well as global ones. And you know, things like the state of aggregate demand, the level of wage increases, business expectations about future inflation and exchange rates. And uh, as he says, you know, the bank's actions and its reputation can have a key bearing on those matters, particularly on exchange rates. We looked, didn't we, at the, the on the exchange rate point because we, we I think we we talked in our last um, episode mm. about the the Fed um, in the US being you know the, yep. the idea was that they were going to increase by 0.75 and they and they did indeed we think that came after the Bank of England decision but what was notable and you know I mm. I read the 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 meet the minutes through without specifically thinking of this it was only when we were talking that I thought actually they didn't mention this and I am pretty sure that that in the minutes of the Bank of England. They weren't really looking at the the Fed yeah. in that in that way and saying you know this is and and that is the driver of exchange rates, isn't it? As you said, Nick, if, if you're going to get a better, you know, if, if your money is going to be worth more in dollars, then why would you keep it in sterling? And that has a big impact on the and the currency. And we've already you know they 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 admit, don't they, that the exchange rate has depreciated by two and a half percent in five weeks since the previous. And you said since January, what did you say you think it's been down by? The exchange exchange rate against the dollar is now down 9% since the beginning of the year. I mean, it's not just sterling weakness, it's dollar strength. Um, So it is, that that is a two-sided coin. But nonetheless, it makes a heck of a difference when so many of the uh, of, of the goods that are affecting the inflation rate are denominated in dollars, mm. you know, oil, all the major commodity yeah. um, trading is done in dollars. And so, you know, this is a, I don't really quite know what to say about this situation in, in the sense that you have a feeling that things are getting seriously grim and it somehow hasn't got through the, the, the thick walls of the Bank of England. Yet they still think that it's the, the feeling you get is they think, well, this it's, it's, is pretty unpleasant, but hey, it'll pass. And it's not really our fault. You know, we can't do anything about it. And therefore, yeah. and, and I think the bootle, which I, I haven't read the, the article, but we will share a link to that. And I think that I think from what you said, that that has actually got that graph in it, hasn't it? The um, of the prediction. Yes. So we'll, we'll share that article. Um, but I think that's the, the point, isn't it? Is that, yes, there are we are in a situation where the bank can't do anything necessarily at the moment, but you know, looking at the future, they, they should be positioning themselves to be to be somebody who will act. You had an interesting um, example about the Swiss, which um, yes, you know. I mean on the on the same day that the MPC was 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 fiddling while uh, while the economy was burning, um, and and not somehow managing to get past a quarter of a point hike, the Swiss central bank reacted, um, and, and I don't really want any. Um, uh, and any groans about this, but the Swiss central bank reacted to a leap in the Swiss inflation rate to 2.9%, 
by banging up interest rates by half a point. And here we are looking at, you know, and again, lots of the comment on social media after this decision was announced, you know, we're, we're saying, hang on a minute, you're saying with one breath that you expect inflation to go to over 11% in October. And the other breath you're saying, yeah, but you know what, we'll only do a quarter point. And the two don't really marry up. Yeah. Where, especially in that, especially in that context, where other where the other central banks are raising higher, and you know they're, they're, it, it does seem that Bank of England seems to be a bit an, an outlier on on, it does, on it, it, it does it does it does seem to be so mm. rather rather worrying. Um, um, we perhaps we should leave that joke on the grounds <laughs> that we we're going to talk ourselves into um, um, into a stiff <laughs> into, into a stiff drink in mid morning at this rate. Um, I, I picked up um, something that, uh, you know, it's been bubbling al- along in the background, people talking about the rate of defaults on bounce back loans. Everybody's talking about banks, bounce back loans, and we knew it would be bad. I mean, this was a scheme that was, it was more important to get the money out there than it was yeah. to worry about whether it would ever come back. And I think that the, anybody who criticises the government um, and the British Business Bank for what has happened with this scheme sort of didn't get the bigger picture that it was desperate. Yeah, I mean, I, would, I, I agree. I, I just think there are some basic checks that could have been done for some of the, well, you know, these, some of this. Concept. I think there, I, I, I agree that it was important to get the money out. I just, I think that there were, there were some basic checks that could have been done on these yeah. businesses and individuals that weren't done. But yeah, and, you know. and also it's very interesting. There, there was a there's a there's some particular comment this weekend about one of the major lenders under that scheme, the rate at which they were, uh, I think the technical term was onboarding new customers. Well, exactly. And I think there were, there was a, there are, I mean, again, I'm not sure. I think some of the, re- the reporters are, are looking at the, the, the banks that seem to act quite responsibly um, in terms of letting the bounce back loans be issued. And there were some other banks that were almost encouraging customers with the promise of bounce back loans. And I think that we will see, if we ever get that information, we will see the default rates um, in those different approaches. And yeah. you know, but, it'll but be quite This, this of course, was not about bounce back loans, this article. Mm-hmm. This was about C-bills. And there was underwriting, yes. credit underwriting with C-bills. And... You know, the, the bigger loans involved um, personal guarantees. And, you know, so this was getting close to proper banking, proper bank lending. Anyway, the Construction Inquirer on the 15th of uh, June last week uh, reported on some research by the accountants Price Bailey that 2,000 of the 97,000 Seabill loans had already defaulted. Wow. Very early on, because bear wow. in mind that the, I know the scheme finished in March of last uh, of last year, but because there was an initial twelve month repayment and That's interest right. holiday, so That's right. in in practice, the first repayments only only became due. The very earliest ones would have been May twenty one. Yeah, you know. So, but now two percent of the loans appear to have defaulted, wow. and they think that the Estimate the total amount of uh, loans that have defaulted so far is 350 million. I know that is small beer by comparison to what's going on with, with bounce back loans. 
But nonetheless, and uh, the reason it's in the construction inquirer is because the construction sector about which we bang on endlessly as a risk, as, as a high risk area, um, particularly poor outcome, um, the default rate there is two and a half percent. Much better in of all places, arts and entertainment, half that level, 1.3%. So I thought that was an interesting insight. Um, I just wish we were getting more data about what's going on with the recovery of the uh, the you know the the servicing and the recovery of yeah. those of those loans. And it's scant information, isn't it? There's really not very much that's being being put out. Yes, I know, I know, and it, and and it and, it, and it's it, of course appalling for the credit industry because it doesn't really know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with £76 billion worth of debt out there through those schemes. Um, and another thing I picked up, um, which just is is ticking a box from last time, where we looked at the employment um, figures from the ONS. And what we didn't seem to have at that point was the differential between private and public sector. Well, somebody's picked that ball up for, for, um, for us. Thank you very much. And has Comment. This is, came from the ONS, um, but somewhat later, I think, than the original report. In the April quarter, if you allow for inflation and you look at regular pay as opposed to bonuses, private sector regular pay was down in that quarter to April by 1.6%. Public sector pay was down by three times that, 4.5%. So maybe that Maybe that informs um, us a little more about what is going on with what looks increasingly like um, a summer of discontent. Mm. Huge strike and now threats with the uh, the teachers and the NHS workers, yeah. you know. Um, and this and, is just going to get worse, isn't it? This is going to get worse. The, 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 the gap will, yes. you know, will, will only widen. Well, that's right. And my very last thing, and 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 uh, you'll have to forgive me, but this is one of our listeners um, who came up with the most wonderful bit of lateral thinking. Um, this is Graham Elliott, um, of, uh, one of the UK's great VAT gurus, goes by the Twitter handle of that daddy, which is wonderful. <laughs> and and he, he, he tweeted on the 14th last week, I read that accountancy firm fees are down 18% which seems extremely large, yeah. um, probably a wind out of furlough related work. But is it indicative of economic stagnation leading to a lack of investment and thus a lack of special work and advisory fees for accountants? Bit of both, perhaps, but. I mean, interesting, really interesting. And really, we, we know we, we talk about business investment all the time, don't we? And the, and the, mm. the numbers that are coming out of Bank of England are not exactly encouraging on um, on that front. Yeah. So I thought that was a, a, a fantastic bit of, um, yeah. of of reading across from from some bold figures to what what might be causing it mm. and and what it says about what's going on in the economy. Yeah, and the implication, absolutely, the implications. Therefore, for for the the growth, which you know, it's very difficult to see where that comes from. I think the only thing that the um, the glimmer of in the in the Bank of England report on growth was that the cost of living um, help from the Chancellor might boost GDP by 0.3 percent. So you know, yes, hey, another test, test, test and trace <laughs> is being replaced <laughs> by um, by some more government handouts. 
Good. Thanks, Nick, very much, as always, um, for, for keeping on top and, and kind of giving us the, the context and, and some of the, um, the the broader picture of these things. We will share that, that Telegraph article, which I'm sorry to say I think is behind a paywall, but it is, it's interesting for those of, of, the, of you who have got um, access. So until next time, thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Nick again. Goodbye. Pleasure. Bye.